0: Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people. And I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks for doing this, for uh, spending a bit of time just giving us an insight into your world and uh, speaking about young professionals and yes. leadership. Yep. Uh, we're going to start with some quick fire stuff, okay. uh, just so we can get to know you. Yeah. Uh, so first question, mornings or evenings? Uh, a
0: bit of both, but maybe evenings more. All
1: right, okay. Uh, books or movies? Uh, again, both, but maybe books more. Right. Uh, romantic comedy or action? Action, no question. No brainer. Action every time. Good answer. Good <laughs> answer. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Great. Uh, bike or car?
0: Motorcycle, we're talking motorcycles. We're talking engine here, yeah. not pedal stuff. No. Motorcycle, no question. Great, summer yeah. or winter? Uh, summer.
1: Okay, and a bit of a deeper one, risk it all or be careful? A
0: uh, Bit of both. Right, okay,
1: <laughs> excellent. Well, now that we know you, yes. we can move on with the good stuff. Now you know uh,
0: me in depth after that quick fire. Yeah, exactly,
1: <laughs> thanks so much. Great, so as a leader that has um, been running organizations, leading staff for uh, over 35 years, been at the helm of an organization, has done all that kind of stuff. What kind of advice would you give looking back to your younger self starting out?
0: It's a great question. I think what any of us would say to our younger self is a great question. And a more significant question, I think the older that you get. Mm. Um, I think what I'd say to my younger self, first of all, is try and develop self-awareness earlier on than I did. We don't live in a in a self-aware society. We're much more aware of the external world than the internal world. Mm. Because I figured out life is lived from the inside out now, I would go back and say to my younger self, life is lived from the inside out, not the outside in. So spend more time being aware of your internal world, of your internal self and figuring you out than trying to navigate your way just by being aware of the external world, external challenges and so on. I think in youth and especially my youth when I got married early, had three kids by the time I was 20, I was really in survival mode. So I'm very preoccupied with paying the bills, raising the kids, doing what I needed to do to keep the wolf from the door. So self-awareness was postponed for me. Mm. I think many people feel that the time to be contemplative and inward and mindful of self is kind of uh, something that can get to later in life. Self-awareness, however, creates your
1: self-image.
0: Your self-awareness and self-image, therefore naturally extend to self-expression. So how will I express this me? Mm. I think a lot of us miss self-awareness, self-image, so finish up in career choices that have nothing to do with who we are as a person. So I meet a lot of people around the world that are in their now career, as it were, their late 20s, early 30s, in a job that they're not sure it's a good fit for them, in a career that they don't feel really suits who they are, because only now are they becoming aware of who they are as a person. I would say the sooner you can become aware of who you are, figure you out, uh, the more chance you have of matching that inner you to external choices that you're gonna have to make anyway, about career, education, where you live, who you'll do life with, your values, all of that is thrust upon us. So to figure out who I am internally early on is what I would go back and say to me even as a teenager. Right. I think the other thing I would say to me as a younger me um, is to be you. Is mm. to be comfortable in that skin that you are in and to not be trading off pieces you all the time as you grow, as you age, in your teens through early twenties to become someone else's version of you. I would definitely say to any young person therefore to me going back representing that generation Mm. you have to be you we live in a world where people will not let you be you and especially in the church world where there's so many versions of you foisted on you forced on you from society, parents, socio-economic group uh, culture of our countries experiences of life and I would say to me I had to fight a lot of that stuff off in my forties in my forties I began to peel off the layers that people have painted on me since my childhood. I would say early on, this self-awareness will help you figure out who you are and then become the best version of that you wow. you could possibly be, is great. what I'd say.
1: It's a great wow. answer. And uh, you know, to follow up that, potentially, what advice would you give in developing or discovering your inner self or who you are? and that authentic genuine you?
0: I think figuring out what it is that feeds that. So the books that you would read, the movies that you would watch, the social experiences that you would have, who you would listen to, who you wouldn't listen to. I think following that internal sense of internal GPS, as I call it, that is in us from birth, but often not connected with at all in life, uh, at best occasionally in life, I think to intentionally figure out that inner true north GPS that we all have yeah. will lead you into the right things that develop the inner you, the right things that develop and appeal to and draw out this person that you're not going to figure out who that person is mm. often till later in life and it gets more difficult the longer you leave it because there's more mm. layers that you think are you that are not you. Sure. So you have this okay. false identity later in life. You right. have to shrug off and come out from under those false identities, which is difficult and painful mm. to find who you are. Better to not have those identities on you in the first place and right. figure out who you are early on, which will lead you into a natural development of that person in life.
1: Great, I wow. think that's great. Super helpful. <clears throat> Fantastic. Great. Well, um, as a follow-up potentially to to that question and continuing that kind of vein, um, I think as young professionals, you know, I'll admit on our behalf. That um, you know, it's easy for us sometimes to find ourselves in the in the middle of a calling, you know, be it, uh, in a in a law profession or in a management role or such, uh, but yet actually not understand or not know if that's actually our calling. So we're stuck in career, but we're not sure if it's calling. How would you advise someone differentiate first of all between the two, and then probably manage that tension?
0: Uh, your career is what you choose. Your calling is what God chooses. Hmm. Uh, essentially those are the two distinctive massive differences again I want to go to the front end of this process because classically the way we enter careers is wrong we enter careers often based on someone else's aspirations for us so parents would press their kids towards say a medical career if medicine is a strong strain of the family careers or push the kids towards what they may feel is a more lucrative career Hmm. if there is a law sort of emphasis in the family vocations then to press the kids towards that with no awareness that this may not suit the personality and wiring and DNA and calling of this child. Right. So I have a huge issue with our whole education system that that question takes me back to. So the way that we step into careers, the front-loading of that, to right. me, is stacked against us. Mm. So people finish up in a career that is not their choice, um, it is someone else's choice, uh, they sort of drift along with that career choice. not a bad career, yeah. It's not a bad life choice until you finish up realizing in the midst of that career that you are unfulfilled, unhappy, sure, right. not productive, which ultimately, worst case scenario, can affect your health. You're sick, you're mm. on prescription medication, you're unhappy, you're moody, you're depressed, you don't sleep at night, all of which is attached to this lack of fulfillment in where you spend most of your life, i.e. in work. Right. My advice to young professionals is to early on, figure out your calling. You figure out your calling this way. Not what could I do, not what um, would I be brilliant at the other people think, um, but to figure out what is the problem that you are here to solve. What is the problem that you are on the planet to solve? Hmm. Because ultimately wow. your calling is built around something you're here to fix. What right. is it that you are here to solve? Even if it's a generic response, I feel I'm here to... Um, bring order to chaos. If it's, that's the only generic clue you have, it's a good beginning. In other words, you only know that because you're driven crazy by mess and chaos. Sure. You're always organizing people's lives. Mm. It's a clue to how you're wired. It's a clue to something you are here to solve. It's a clue to a calling. That should be the track you follow into what people then call a career. The leading edge of career, therefore, should be a sense of calling. Calling is figured out by what do I solve. What you solve is figured out by what irritates me, what bothers me. So if I am am obsessed with style and you're sitting opposite me and there's a loose button on your coat and I'm talking to you, and I'm obsessed with the loose button on your coat, it's maybe a heads up that I am going to be Mm -hmm. solving people's tailoring problems. I'm going to be into fashion. I've got an eye to detail. It's simple as that. If that becomes what you're known for and that's what you obsess over, rather than see that as a weakness to fix and get on with your career, give attention to those things. Because everybody that is making billions of pounds in the world, all young professionals Mm. that go on to become very successful, wealthy adult professionals, ultimately, they are not selling a product. They are selling a solution. They are fixing something in people's lives. So if you look at Apple, the most successful company in the world mm. of its kind, Apple are not selling devices. Apple are selling simplification of life. Wow! If you read Apple's right. marketing, to mention devices, Apple's whole reason for what they do is they want to make your life simpler. They're selling a solution. That is life is complicated. We are selling simplification of life. Who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't spend money on that? That's their driving force. That's my point. So Steve Jobs figured out early on that his calling was to simplify people's lives. His experience with communication and with devices was complicated and it frustrated him. So he said to himself one day, I I just need to do this in a way that makes people's lives simple so that when they pick up a device they think brilliant, simple, FaceTime, genius. We all know around the world what a gift it is to us and how easy it is to use. I think that's how we figure out our careers. The leading edge of career is your calling. The leading edge of calling is figure out what it is that you are here to solve and follow that. I think the rest then falls into place.
1: Fantastic, great. So um, you've been quite entrepreneurial in your life in terms of writing books, uh, creating events, you're growing big people, your masterclass, uh, as well as speaking around the world. Um, What advice would you give to someone that uh, has got an entrepreneurial drive but is in full-time employment. So, so they're trying to manage that season of full-time employment, yet still feed the entrepreneurial drive within them.
0: So a great question, Tom, and many people are frustrated with that, that tension inside them of realizing that working for someone is not their dream. Right. Um, and whilst working for someone, if you're entrepreneurially wired, working for someone drives you crazy because you're so aware of even how the job you're in could be improved and done better. Sure. Sometimes entrepreneurial people in an employed role drive the boss crazy because they just won't do as they're told. They're not right. that kind of person. They're, right. they're wired to improve, to upgrade, to give suggestions, to be creative. Um, any employer worth their salt, of course, would welcome that and would want to make room for that entrepreneurial element and keep that person on board in the company, right. On the add to what you do for us and release them to expand the business, ideally. Um, I think the best advice I can give on that is that, is that if you can find employed work that feeds the entrepreneurial element in you, that is, if you're entrepreneurial in a certain sphere of endeavor,
1: right.
0: try and get into the neighborhood of work related to that.
1: Right. Okay. So if
0: your entrepreneurial interest is in communications, then get a job that at least puts you into that world, sure. even if you work at California Warehouse. You're somewhere attached to it. Don't right. get a job that's a million miles from your entrepreneurial dream that you have. So even while you're doing nine to five, which is frustrating, at least you're doing nine to five in the neighborhood of your entrepreneurial right. yep. uh, future helps, I think. Um, I also think that so that you don't get so frustrated that, you, that you're poor in a job and you resign from a job because we all need to pay the bills. I say sure. this, it's okay to kiss a few frogs on the way to the prince so that the employed role is a frog compared to your entrepreneurial life you want. But it's paying the bills, putting food on the table. So at least that's good. So we all know that's what it is. We're not gonna make it more than that. We're not gonna pretend that the frog is the prince. So don't do that. So be in the job, do well at your job because even even a boring, unfulfilling nine to five is still a good growing experience. You're gonna have to learn Mm. service. You're gonna have to learn punctuality. You're going to have to learn loyalty, faithfulness, doing a good job. You're going to have to learn commitment excellence. You're going to have to learn to be a team player. All of these things are all good for you anyway, one day when you are working for yourself. Sure. Because to be a good employer, I think you have to be have been a good employee. Right. I think to be a good leader, you have to have been a good follower. So there's nothing lost in these life experiences. Right. My counsel to people is that you have to measure it well. I think you have to calculate risk. So don't quit the job overnight and jump into being self-employed when that is not set up enough yet for it to be an easier transition than it is if you do it too soon. I think a right. lot of entrepreneurs young people especially get so impatient, so frustrated that feel I have to quit the job, go self-employed and then have this massive financial pressure. Financial pressure will come anyway, but I think managed risk and calculated financial pressure is better than just knee-jerk reactions to get towards doing what you want to do entrepreneurially. Right. So I think, yes, get around people that feed the entrepreneurial spirit. Don't settle and marry a frog. Learn from it, grow from that employed status as you keep moving towards um, an entrepreneurial life. I think as well I'd say that you, um, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't pick a dream that's beyond your pain threshold. I think some people entrepreneurially pick a big idea for their life, not aware that that reaching for that will bring so much discomfort and suffering and pain to my life. And then it's the pain that takes them out. It's not the dream that took them out. Mm. It is the pain on the way to the dream. And I think we have to be intentional about pain. We have to be thoughtful about pain. Um, Am I able to have less sleep at night? Am I able to cope with the pressure of not knowing where my next paychecks coming from? Sure. Can I deal with the confrontation required to confront people who owe me money, who are not paying up? Can I deal with the, the small beginnings and the pains have been small in my beginnings? Right. Can I deal with the relational pressure if I'm married but I'm not going to see my kids? I'm going to be gone early coming home late as an entrepreneur, I don't keep normal hours. Um, can I deal with all of that stuff that is relational, circumstantial, financial pressures, emotional pressures? I think to sit down and talk to people Go where you want to go right. and ask them to tell me what pain could I look forward to. Right. And then if you feel I can survive that, then go ahead. I think entrepreneurs need to be much more honest about the pain. Mm. Rather than to about the dream and the money and the lifestyle, which of course, who wouldn't want that? They need to tell us about their pain, their disappointments, their failures, their bankruptcies, um, their struggles mm. with health, their depressions. Mm. Uh, all the rest of it. Tell us about all that because none of that is going to happen to you if you stay a 95 job. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So before you leap into that entrepreneurial dream, the stuff entrepreneurs should tell us, and I have gone through a lot of pain, isolation, loneliness, lack, struggling of that nature and beyond that no one told me about, but thankfully I saw it coming. So I think I was more suited for it, not because I was better than the next guy, but just because I think I'd be more intentional about the pain.
1: Sure, excellent. Great, so um, speaking in the realm of trying new things and trying yeah. to get yourself in the ballpark of, yes. of, of your entrepreneurial drive or your calling, um, talking about failures, what, what was your single greatest personal failure? And uh, being honest, you know, did you learn from that? Did it make you weaker or stronger? And what did you learn?
0: I think without question, the greatest personal failure I've ever had is not being myself. I have to come right. back to that. It's worth becoming a student of failure in in a society that that demonizes, outlaws failure. I think to be entrepreneurial, to be a young professional, to attempt things, to be outside the box, to not be a regular nine-to-five person, as it were, you are going to have to have a good relationship with failure. So failure, of course, for us that do what we do, and for young professionals, failure has to be something you make friends with. However, what is to me more fascinating about the study of failure is propensity rather than behavior. Right. If you can figure out where my weakness and propensities are, then you will be able to predict the sphere of your failure. To, to talk about failure in terms of behavioral fails, right. or I failed in that area, or I failed in that person, or I failed in that value, is not as helpful as saying, here's why I think that happened. Failure is an effect, it's not a cause. If we can go upstream of failure to what causes it, personally, corporately, Mm. in our organizations, in our national cultures, in our businesses, in our political parties, what is the upstream cause of our tendency to fail in these small areas consistently. That to me is the benefit of the observation of failure. It is propensity. What is our propensity? What is our vulnerability? What is our pattern of weakness? This will predict where we can expect and therefore guard against or reduce and minimize the frequency of failure. But for me, I think as long as I live, I would answer that because I have failed in handling people, I have failed in decisions that I have made that that have not come out well for people that were implicated in those decisions. I have made decisions that have failed financially, organizationally. I have fired people I should have kept. I have been unkind to people I should have been kind to. None of those are helpful to talk about on their own because we all do that. What is helpful is to come behind the scenes of all that and say, "Why, why do you think that happened? And I think my growth is not in saying, I won't do that again, and try not to. Yeah. The growth is to figure out why I did that, sure. and then to address that. Because the gift of failure, and I think, again, I want to say to young professionals, one of the things I go back and say to me, uh, and especially to church leaders, is that there is much more value in focusing on issues than behavior. Right. We are obsessed with behavioral Sure. Change sure. and behavioral adjustment. That's all you get. Sure. Behave like a child. If you adjust to a child's behavior, you'll forever do it. And the effort you put in to adjust behavior, you will have to sustain that effort to keep the behavior where you want it. Right. If you address the issues that cause the behavior, wow. the chances are that we'll get lasting behavioral change, not by constantly disciplining behavior, but by educating as to the awareness of the cause, the issue that causes the behavior. So for me, the science of failure is much more to do with figuring out the issues rather than the behavior that people would talk about. So behavior of fail is interesting, but it's not fascinating and it's not educational unless you tell us what is it that the ingredients of that fail then you're dealing with the issue. Wow, yeah. So I think that is my take on failure. Wow, that's
1: great. Really good insight.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.